We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. With my busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com. And we are back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, reporting live from my parents' basement in the suburbs of Chicago. You will not believe the amount of straight paraphernalia surrounding me right now. My younger brother Mark recently moved out, but all his debris is still here. There are 750 remote controls to video game systems that all look like they are space age. I don't know, I don't know anything about video <laughs> games anymore. Nothing. My knowledge ended with Chun-Li. That's when it started. That's when it ended. Lara Croft, that too. Where's the Playboy magazines? I know. I'm, I'm sure there's like, yeah, Playmate of the Year 1988 is lingering around here somewhere. A Samantha Fox poster is somewhere around here. I actually used to love vintage, like, Playboy magazines. Who would be in them? Like, what was the whole thing we loved about them? I know there's some cachet to it now. I don't mean, rather rather than just like a random, like, 90s celebrity, but it was just like, I would find, you know, like, when people say that, you know, I read it for the articles. Mm-hmm. Um I found I did like they were very interesting, like the Q and A's they would have with people, right? And they seemed a little bit like classier. Like if you found the penthouse, though, that was that that was a little raunchy. To quote the movie The Beguiled, "Bring me the anatomy book." The, the ana- it was an anatomy <laughs> book. Yeah, <laughs> I knew exactly what you were going to quote. Uh, I love that movie. I love that quote. I feel like we don't talk about that movie enough. It, well, it it is this sort of like. Um, sinister breath of a movie like it's very um i would describe it almost as an unassuming movie even though a couple of gruesome things occur in it everybody's great in it uh great performance from nicole great performance from kirsten dunst mm-hmm. and who's in the clint mr Eastwood colin farrell colin farrell, mr. Yes. Colin farrell. My, yes my king showing his arms on the sag after strike line oh now see i have to say I kind of thought we would get more updates about, you know, people at his level on on the picket line. Charlize was there the other day for her birthday. She was? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking rad. Well, also, the Academy just put a clip of her and Young Adult on their uh, Instagram, and people are commenting how mm-hmm. much they love her and Young Adult. Meanwhile, it's super awkward because she wasn't nominated for Young Adult, so it felt a little insecure on the Academy's part. You know, they love to do shit like that, though, don't they? Like, I also, I love whatever a award year happens too and someone's not nominated but they love sneaking those clips into the show just because like oh maybe we'll trick you know the audience (laughs) at home who's watching and they'll think that their fave is nominated it's like they're not even here no danielle deadweiler (laughs) is nowhere in sight but speaking of the academy uh we just lost the director william friedkin who uh won for uh french connection but obviously directed the exorcist and also uh, a rad interviewee. Just read his interviews if you ever get a chance. But this man also directed The Boys in the Band. This man also directed Cruising. 
And Gay whatever icon. you have to say, whatever you have to say about those two movies, that's some great credibility. He went hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, I love a man who really seems like he should have had a podcast. Yes. Oh, please. Uh, constantly, constantly opinions, and it's it's funny because it's like I love when someone dies. Don't love when someone dies. I love it. I love it <laughs> when too. someone. I love it when someone slay your um, dead. But it's interesting when someone dies, and people have sort of decided now that they will celebrate things that they're saying. You know, yeah, because right. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of his like a lot of his like fun interviews and stuff that people are like, this is amazing. Uh, look at him shaking the table, etc. Modern day people try to do that now, and they're like they're being mean. Sure, right. You know, right, right. like you could not be out there like him uh, <laughs> trashing the exorcist too <laughs> and saying, <laughs> saying how much of a piece of a shit it was. Uh, and also the hilarity of him saying um, exorcist, he compared exorcist 2 to um, someone taking Tolstoy um, and... Um, making like a porn no musical uh for the <laughs> sequel and i'm like are we saying the exorcist is tolstoy yeah <laughs> the exorcist much as i love it is a very weird movie because it's about an actress going to washington dc to play a part and that's where the extra like linda blair her daughter ex- uh, ellen burson's daughter becomes possessed and then the just the events occur there's there's very few washington dc set amazing movies actually it's just a weird place for that movie to take place though so, uh you can obviously go to those locations and the big stairwell where a certain death occurs so if you're ever mm-hmm. in dc and you know in need of iconography seek out the exorcist locations well the exorcist is also a movie that i think about often just because my friend um josh miller his dad was in the exorcist he played the priest wait a minute uh uh jason miller yeah joshua john miller yeah, Jason Miller is also a, a Pulitzer-winning playwright. He won for writing a play called That Championship Season. Yeah, I don't know if you never knew this or if like listeners know this, but Joshua, um, John Miller, and his partner, Mark Fortin, I think you've met them. Uh, they wrote The Final Girls, that horror movie. Oh. And that movie was sort of based on, you know, his life story of sort of like having a dad who's in this like famous horror movie who passed away. You know, that's what the that was the inspiration for the final girls. So the best horror, I think, just occurred in the 70s. There's just something about that decade where you want to see murders in that kind of lighting on those gross streets, you know, sleaze. We, that's something we don't have in movies anymore. Sleaze. I mean, and also snaz. Like sleaze <laughs> and snaz are the two essential 1970s qualities. The sleaze of like the um the New York you see in the movie Clute and then also the like sweaty dance floor culture of something like Saturday Night Fever. These are the things I miss yeah. most. I think actually those are my two favorite things you can have in a movie. But even like Cruising, right? You know, or Boys in the Band uh, seem seem quaint now. Uh, especially Boys in the Band. Yes, right. Yeah, but Cruising like had protests. And they they called it anti-gay at the time. Uh, you can't watch that movie and tell me it's anti-gay, okay? That <laughs> cruising belongs with a double feature with A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, okay? <laughs> like, that is that is pure faggotry on screen, 
And the boys in the band is, I liked the update and I liked the, the play revival. I like the play revival more than the film, mm-hmm. even though, you know, like the, the cast of the revival, they were all in the film. The one that Ryan yes. Murphy directed. That was fine. I thought, but I like the play revival more, but I love the original film just because it feels more, I don't know, visceral. Maybe well, it's just because yeah, there, it's 70s. It feels like a time capsule, but it just it feels it feels a bit more vicious than you know the the remake was, and, and more vicious than things like you know Heartstopper and the traditional gay lore we get you know these days. It's nice All that right, there's bitch. some bite once upon a time. No, I like Here Heartstopper. I was just watching oh. it. No, yeah. <laughs> you no, didn't it's like very it last cute. year. <laughs> oh no, no, no! It, it, it goes down like candy. It's like not something you think That's about fair. much afterwards. But I want to Did say about the original it? boys. Uh, no, I just started. It just started it. Um, love that okay. kid's eyebrow. Still, still a fan. Uh, uh, the original boys in the band. I feel like people don't talk about that movie a lot, and it's this movie that exists obviously before the advent of things like AIDS and stuff. So you're seeing people in a big city, mm-hmm. gay friends hanging out. They're doing like kick lines and you know making Judy Garland jokes at each other, and it's just nice to see. You know, fags hanging out. It's you know, it's fabulous in that way. And then finally, when the melodrama sets in, and the you know, uh, I, I guess we'll call it internalized homophobia becomes external. It's a little awkward in how visceral is the word you chose. Uh, it is, but also, I don't know. It's fun to see dated gay things because it feels like we don't have any gay things. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like there, there's a lot of there's a lot to mine there if you haven't seen it yet. It's from the early seventies. A lot of fun performances and one it or two actual gay first people in it. Mainstream American film to use the word cunt. Get out. Progress. Yeah. You see? Yeah. You know, and now you go to the Renaissance tour and it's like cunt, 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 cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did I actually just watched footage of the Renaissance tour and I didn't realize that word is just on the screen. Like that's pretty yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that for Beyonce 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> Um, weirdly enough, it's at the Eras tour too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's me saying it in the aisles, screaming. Cunt never goes out of style; it goes up on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> she is still here. My God, she's on like a fifty-eight day bender here in uh, in LA. Did you see it? Did I see the Eras tour? No, I had, you know, I had to wash my hair that <laughs> night. So I didn't get to, all seven nights I had to wash my hair. Again, I said if, if a ticket fell on my lap, I would have gone. But, it, but you know, my lap remains unadorned. You know, one day you'll get that man out of your hair, you know, and then you will have the time <laughs> yeah. to see the Eras tour. By the way, can we just, okay, I'm sorry about this sidebar. Wash that man right out of my hair. That's got to be one of the greatest songs ever in musical theater history. The, the turn of phrase of wash that man right out of my hair is so... <laughs> Gross and also awesome. Nellie Forbush, great character. Well, I mean, it's raunchy too because I mean, she's washing his cum out of her hair. No, the visual is there for me. I'm I'm sure audiences thought the same thing. Yes. Um, I also want to lastly point out about William Friedkin. Um, his like a couple of his last movies were just um adaptations of Tracy Letts plays. Killer Joe and Bug. Right. Interesting choices. Bug scared the hell out of me. Really? Ashley Judd, Michael Shannon. I don't know. That I mean, that one's about, you know, like tinfoil conspiracy shit and like them going crazy. Um, 
It is creepy. Well, also, you put Michael Shannon in a movie, period, and I'm already wigged out. I'm already hiding out of the seat. There's just something about, first of all, people just shouldn't be that tall. Second of all, uh, the menacing quality he brings. I, I'm telling you, there was a time when Christoph Waltz stole all of these roles, and then Michael Shannon came by, and it was like the sickle before the wheat. All those roles went mm-hmm. to Michael Shannon afterwards. I mean, I feel like what's interesting about him, too, is, you know, like, maybe what was interesting about the 70s, like the snaz and the sleaze that you brought up, was the fact that, like, I mean, like, all those directors, their, their like, influences were, like, Godard, you know, and mm-hmm. Fellini, and you know, like Kurosawa, and you know, like who are people's influences now? Yeah, right. No, no nothing. Everything is pretty clean aesthetically now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if these people are lapping up that that real gross shit anymore. Maybe horror fans. Maybe. Yeah, I still need to see Talk to Me, which I hear is great. So I have not fucking seen Talk to Me uh, either. I'm actually a little behind on movies this year. I still haven't seen Past Lives. I'm Lewis. What am I doing with my time if not seeing Past Lives? Well, traveling around in basements. No, that's true. I just <laughs> had to move a PlayStation so I can do my podcast. It's hard times over here. All right. We have got a, uh, a fun episode, actually. Um, well, we'll talk about the Lizzo scandal, which is not so fun. Yeah, one of our less um, fun topics, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Maybe Curious George finds that topic fun with the bananas and everything. Oh, um, right. The man in the yellow hat. He's on this case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's the man in the yellow hat. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> God. We need to not illustrate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, I'm going to introduce Lewis to one of my favorite games, which... I've been playing lately on, like, group trips because, I mean, like, you know, speaking of boys in the band, right? You know, going on trips with gays. um, Eventually, you, like, you run out of conversation. You run out of conversation about, like, the mundane details of your life. And you want to play a game. And I feel like I'm not – my friends aren't so much board game people. But we love, Mm -hmm. like, variations of celebrity Uh, And so we're going to play this game called Known For, um, which involves IMDb, uh, and we'll get to that a bit later. Can't wait. And our guest today is the fabulous Best Coast uh, alumna and now solo artist, Bethany Cosentino, whose album I Am Just Loving. And I have to tell you, the Liz Fair vibes are bouncing off this fucker. Truly, uh, when I was talking to Bethany about coming on Keep It, and I was like, this is actually an album that is going to be one that Lewis loves. And I just texted the whole Keep It thread like, I am loving this album. So I feel a little predictable right now and overly seen. (laughs) We will be right back with more Keep It. We're constantly reinventing ourselves, but not so much that we damage our precious brand. Okay, we're really going from like, Blonde ambition to the girly show here. Brilliantly said. Our logo got a nice little refresh, and now you can get refresh Keep It merch from the Crooked Store. There are tees, mugs, and keychains that all feature our lovely new logo. And you know what? Hold on to your old Keep It merch, because now it's vintage. So go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, Lewis, in the words of Cardi B in the song Rumors, uh, I'm going to teach you about big girl coochie. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let me get my number two pencil out. (laughs) 
the note cards are ready. Uh, Lizzo is under fire lately, and unfortunately, it has nothing to do with my petition to stop her from playing that goddamn flute. Excuse me, I just want to say that the flute was always cool, and if you haven't seen Alanis Unplugged in 1999 and the solo she busts out in after that I Will Be Good, you're missing out. I, I knew you were like a closet flautist <laughs> enthusiast. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like someone being accused of being gay in a Tennessee Williams play. I knew you were a flautist. Geraldine uh, Page she's... screaming that at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I was just maligning Geraldine Page. What movie? Um, for stealing Whoopi oh. Goldberg's Oscar. That's usually Purple. how she comes up these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trip to Bountiful is an amazing performance. Geraldine Page is awesome. Also, a cool. But I saw woman. Cicely Tyson. Oh, me too. I saw to that Bountiful. too. Yes. And so I've never seen um, Geraldine Page. Um, the film with Jordan. I've never seen that film, but I'm like, I've seen the Cicely Tyson version of that. So I feel like it would not, it would not live up. Uh, well, I'll say this about the Geraldine Page version. There's nobody yelling her lines in her ear, like in the Cicely Tyson one you saw. So it's probably a little better. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> God loves Cicely Tyson. <laughs> you told Harpo to beat her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The slander. She is in the ground, Lewis. <laughs> so is Geraldine Page. She died like a year after that. <laughs> She's further. She can't hear us. <laughs> oh, wait, she died a year after Cicely? No, no. Geraldine Page died like a year after she won the Oscar. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So see, she's further in the ground. She's probably right, not even right, there right. anymore. Grave robbers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Always coming after mid-80s Best Actress winners. Um, I'll say one thing about both Cicely Tyson and Geraldine Page before we have a conversation that people actually want to hear. Both uh, married to interesting people. Cicely Tyson married to Miles Davis. Geraldine Page married to Rip Torn. Okay, moving on. Mm. Honestly, I, was think- I think we talked about that when Cicely died. Um, which, by the way, I don't know if we've ever said this on the podcast. Do you know? Do you know that we had? Do you know that we had that bitch booked? Say that a fucking again. You remember, re- remember? Remember we had like when we go, when we so to do a little behind the scenes like we go through we confirm guests and we book people etc. And you remember Cicely Tyson was doing her book press was planning a book press tour, but then she died. But, but she actually took we, one we look at sp- us on the itinerary and she's like, actually, this is my time to leave. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, thanks so much. Go into uh, that light. Yeah. Go into that light. <laughs> uh, you two have but, fun. Uh, <laughs> Good night. But I think we said this around the time that she died, too, reading her memoir, which is fantastic, by the way, if you haven't read it. Um, I would love to, like, see a play, a movie, a something about her relationship with Miles, Miles Davis. It just oh, seems yeah. sexy. Uh, right. No, I mean... Come on, who's not writing this for the fucking blacklist? What else are you writing about? That's how you get on the blacklist. I've heard of these two celebrities. Write a little thing about them. Let me tell you what's not sexy. This Lizzo lawsuit. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> God, you're brilliant transition. Okay, yes. What is going on here? So she's been sued by three of her former dancers for discrimination and creating a hostile work environment. And, well... First of all, I didn't know that was something you could sue for um, because I feel like Lewis has a case. 
<laughs> Moving along. Yes. <laughs> um, the dancers are Ariana Davis, Crystal Williams, and Noel Rodriguez, and they've alleged sexual harassment, religious harassment, racial harassment, disability discrimination, assault, and false imprisonment. Um these Statement are all, by the way, the American Gladiators events. I wanted to just say that. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> all of this is happening on Days of Our Lives right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Lord. Um, the stunning nature of how, from their attorney, uh, the stunning nature of how Lizzo and her management team treated their performer seems to go against everything Lizzo stands for publicly, while privately she weight shames her dancers and demeans them in ways that are not only illegal, but absolutely demoralizing. This is a key point of the lawsuit. Uh, listen, we are, you know, we're not Chris Geidner here. You know, we're not about to get into, like, all the legalities <laughs> of this case. Uh, <laughs> imagine we just reveal we, like, have law degrees right now. Uh, but what's interesting is, like, it says not only illegal, but also demoralizing. I feel like I need to point out that a lot of outlets were running with the fat-shaming element of the story which i feel like was you know get people to be like oh look lizzo isn't practicing what she preaches or you know mm -hmm. like lizzo was employing fat phobia as well um but they are not actually suing for that got it so i feel like that was just to be like in the public conversation as it were they're also suing lizzo's dance captain shirlene quigley um, who's accused of preaching Christianity um, against premarital sex in the workplace while oversharing her masturbatory habits and sex life with her husband. Okay, girl. <laughs> the one thing I want to say about that, I, whatever you think about the Lizzo element of it all, this Charlene Heffer... She is fucking zany. She definitely Zanes. did that shit. Because you are being sued for trying to force Christianity on these backup dancers. And the first thing you do is go to Instagram and make an Instagram live like, God loves you. And even if you don't think he does, he loves you. He's watching. He's under your bed. He has your phone tapped. He's talking to your grandma. <laughs> He's reading your tax returns. Like, no. that video was basically a threat. Yes, and also just that vibe you get from somebody who is a zealot where they're looking at you and seeming to hold eye contact, but their eyes are crossing. You know what I mean? That kind of like, yes. help me. This person thinks they're communicating with me and they look like they've eaten the bad berries. Help me. I mean, we just had Allie and AJ on the show and Allie was, of course, an Easy A and um, that was giving very Amanda Bynes an Easy A. Yes, right. Uh, a fine Amanda yeah. Bynes performance, by the way. Yeah, Um Honestly, I think Amanda Bynes is completely a performance. I think she's Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> you think it's uh, Joaquin Phoenix in that one documentary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out directed by the Safdie brothers. Oh, God, right. And she'll get yeah. an Oscar. The, no, it'll be like barely. It'll be on the Indie Awards circuit for a split second, and then it'll go away. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, you're right. This woman, I mean, like, if you're going to accuse this woman of anything, Harping on religious themes and being shameful about it does sound kind of correct based on what she posted on Instagram. Very strange choice to post that. One of the answers says that when she resigned, Lizzo aggressively approached her, cracking her knuckles, bawling her fists, and she feared that Lizzo was going to hit her if one of the other dancers had not intervened. 
This has been denied by Lizzo, obviously. She said that I am very open with my sexuality and expressing myself, but I cannot accept or allow people that use that openness to make me out to be something I am not. Unfortunately, she is being defended in the court of public opinion by Grimes and Jamila Jamil. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Charlie's fallen angels. Uh, as she's also hired Marty Singer as a lawyer who has also defended Bill Cosby, Johnny Depp, and Jonah Hill. My heroes, which, yes. First of all, I know that like this is always a thing that people do online where they're like, oh, she's guilty, guilty. You know, when <laughs> someone reps someone that's like rep rep these, you know, like reprehensible people. Um I want to point out though that like I feel like there's not that many high-powered lawyers that you would immediately go to, like, taking, like, a case like this, right? I mean, there's a lot, but, like, I'll, I feel like a lot of lawyers have represented awful people, you know? I've seen No, the no, practice. that's the job, right. No, and to judge it based on that is, you know, uh, obtuse. Speaking of Jonah Hill, though, by the way, did you see his new paparazzi photos? Yes, with his high-waisted pants. Yeah, high-waisted pants. I mean, maybe she, maybe she was on her way to a Carpenter's concert, first of all. Um, <laughs> Excuse me, I'm there. He may not join me, and I'm in the box seats. <laughs> he was looking slender. He was giving Lewis um, a few years ago. Oh, before, sure, you know, yes. Yeah, before your muscle dad transformation. Oh, um, right. I, I, when I was more of a Shaggy uh, from Scooby Doo, yes. <laughs> He's given the Shaggy from Scooby Doo, uh, and I only bring this up because like there's an interview in People Magazine where he was talking about <laughs> talking to his therapist about like getting over like his addictions and whatever, and he was essentially talking about how he's addicted to love. Robert Palmer called. Uh, he said, "Stop stepping <laughs> on my game." Yeah. <laughs> and I love the concept of a love addiction. I have been told before that love addiction and sex addiction are uh, treated a bit synonymously. Anyway, and now I'm weighing in on something I know mm, nothing we about. We can ask Eric Benet. Yeah. <laughs> and John Leguizamo? Yeah, yeah. The three famous sex addicts. Right. <laughs> I think they're the highest ranked ones, too. Oh, and David Duchovny. Mm. Yes. Was he? Yes, I believe oh, he was right. once upon a time, too. Mm-hmm. I thought he just, because I was thinking he just played one on Californication. No, I believe that was part of his life, too. Okay, but back to Lizzo. I will say, whatever happened here, to me, it sounds like, all right, she treated some people horribly, and they're trying to find a legal way to address it. And like some of the things they say, I'm like, yeah, that sounds dubious, like being in a club, and you feel pressured to do certain things with certain performers. And there's there's just an uneasiness about the working with this person and then having this like leisurely, rowdy life with her, too. I get that that's kind of confusing and there's gray areas there and stuff but i have to say i feel like people are treating this with extra irony because oh lizzo preaches uh, whatever don't be fat phobic or accept body, whatever i don't think i think it's possible to treat people like shit and then also literally believe or preach that uh uh you know treat people with respect i don't find that to be hypocritical i just think it's like all right she messed up a few times or maybe she's hard to work with or whatever and then intellectually you can still believe these other things i just feel like a huge part of why this is so titillating to people is they think that any woman who says you know treat people with kindness is secretly a bitch Mm. yeah you know um I think that there's a, there's the weird element of this case where it's like people have been waiting to get Lizzo. And yeah. I'm 
I've always tried to understand it because I mean, like, yeah, she's kind of corny. She's not particularly for me. That's, I would say the worst thing about her music is it's a little corny for me. That's what I would say. Yes. Yeah. It's not for me. Uh, I remember like a couple of weeks ago, there was a report about like she had done a concert. Uh, and the concert was stopped for like 30 minutes so she could give like pep talks to like people in the audience or whatever. And I was like, well, that sounds like hell. that i'm like because first of all i'm like baby if i'm at a concert i'm drinking i'm probably on some kind of drug i'm having a good time 30 minutes of you telling this 12 year old girl like believe in your dreams i don't think so honey and also right anybody could say believe in your dreams you don't need to take time out to like recite these um aphorisms that come from any which place any greeting card you would ever see Mm -hmm. um But no, I mean, yes, I mean, people contain multitudes and there can be a person who, you know, believes in like uplifting and stuff. And then it's also just, you know, like a bitch behind the scenes or or like has bad days or whatever. And I don't mean to denigrate or or, or say that I disbelieve their experience. I just don't think there's added irony in someone having a message and then also being a little bit of a dick. Yeah, Uh, I will also say that. there's been so much conversation, you know, too, about like um, what the lawyers are doing here. And, you know, like I'm not going to speculate, but I feel like this is being brought into the court of public opinion to sort of force a settlement or something mm. and not really yeah, right, go to court. Right. Because I'm because I'm also just like we're on TMZ, which is one thing. But then like going on News Nation with Chris Cuomo, who I did not know was still alive uh <laughs> i thought he was the man with uh, no news not, nation yeah right right Let alone i did on not the news nation i did not know he was like hosting a show which looks like a weird bizarro version of fox when you look up chris cuomo news nation just like images of it it's like a photo of him and then like some other like white blonde women and stuff behind him and i'm like it's truly bizarro fox news Oh, weird. I've also and never I've... heard of it before. Um, but it's also, there's also a funny irony of him reporting on this given he was fired for covering up his brother's um, scandal. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, what do we think of Lizzo's retorts? Which I would say are very um, in your face is what I would choose. Like she says, I'm just, it's a lie. Yeah, she says it's a lie. I, I There's another thing that I want to point out too. Um and this is getting into like the real housewives of it all. I remember when the Erica Jane stuff happened, right? You know, and people were lambasting her for um, not showing like support for the victims or whatever, et cetera, right? You know, like in a non criminal case, in a case where you are being sued, if you have any kind of statement that shows sympathy for the victims, shows that you understand where they're coming from, et cetera, like, you're losing. Uh-huh. You know, like, right, your right, lawyer right. is going... Any statement that someone releases who is being sued, their lawyer has gone through that statement with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that this is not something that will affect you in court. Right, right, right. So it has to be in your face and cold by nature. Um, Again, I do not want this to come off as like I'm siding with Lizzo, but I am thinking about her rise to fame for years and years. She was this person who was kind of like 
on the rise and around. Like she's the kind of person who would host a red carpet for like the VMAs as a sort of pseudo celebrity on the fringe. And she I remember hosted one time Wonderland watching- on MTV. You know that music right, show. Right. Yes, I remember watching this telecast with a couple of friends, and she was literally on the red carpet with people named Steak and Mike. It was Steak, Mike, and Lizzo. That's what the Chiron said. And I remember we were all like, who the fuck are these people? But I did remember thinking Lizzo was really funny. And I have this weird feeling, and this is just something, I I, kind of feel this way about Ellen DeGeneres, too. Mm. It takes these people, either they had their fame taken away from them, or it took them extra long to get there. So that once they actually do rise to the level of giant star, they are extra protective of being there. There, And I feel like in that space, that's where you can get people who are vicious and territorial or, uh, uh, you know, just like very protective and then rude and awful. You know, I kind of think that's where that comes from. Or that's just what I wonder. You know what I think the best way um, to go about like the fame business have... A brief burst of fame early. Maybe becoming a little asshole and self-involved. <laughs> sure. Then you settle just into like a normal rut. <laughs> 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 I'm talking about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't even recognize me in this hall of mirrors you've provided. You know, we burn bright, Lewis. And now <laughs> it's just year six of talking about this pop culture shit. I know, right? We, we haven't outgrown it yet. We haven't moved into, yeah. Why isn't this a, a podcast about luxurious housing or something? <laughs> One last thing I want to say about like the Lizzo thing. If you are a cunt in private and you want to like preach kindness publicly because like you think it's good for your image or whatever, don't. Because you know what? We love assholes. The American public <laughs> right. loves assholes. I mean, listen, I mean, like, there people are making salacious jokes or whatever about, like, Ariana Grande or whatever. But, you know, like, honestly, stealing people's men is kind of, like, likable and fun for celebrity, <laughs> you know? Right. Gives us something like, to talk like, about. It gives us something to talk about. And it makes you interesting. And it makes you not boring. There is a an editorial in the... Uh, Washington Post right now that's about Lizzo and the title is something like the message is don't deify celebrities how fucking idiotic are we did the did the Washington Post turn into a Zanga from 2004 and then secondly <laughs> who is deifying Lizzo you you enjoy her music you it's great that she's around about damn time great song I'm okay with that uh, uh Grammy win white women at soul cycle yeah okay <laughs> and let me tell and let me tell you something those instructors were probably scrambling this week. Who do you think they replaced? <laughs> who do you think they replaced? What do you? Who do you think they replaced Juice with? <laughs> oh God! Go, well, first of all, Juice and its assorted remixes can be an entire um, <laughs> playlist. So you're right. Some people just had to start from scratch. But in that case, you know, those people are probably shifting to Taylor Swift with ease. I do have to say. Do you remember when Lizzo attacked this like Pitchfork writer because they compared the album "Cause I Love You." Uh, they said the music was very like Natasha Bedingfield, very mass market produced uh, f- for playing in grocery stores, playing in gyms, etc. Which is hilarious. It's hilarious that this person clocked that. Uh, it's hilarious that Lizzo got pressed about it. Um, but also, she wishes. 
<laughs> okay, she wishes she wrote these words, okay? Oh, please. No, we don't. We're talking about the work of Natasha Bedingfield now. Honey, if you haven't listened to Single recently, that is my fucking jam. She snapped all the way on that fucking album. Like, oh, yeah. It, that is, we're not making pop like that anymore, okay? We're not making pop for you to step out in your pumps low-rise denim jeans mm-hmm. a shirt a l- shirt with like sort of a skirt that you're wearing over the jeans oh yeah you, ki- hair. You, you made a killing at charlotte russe yes <laughs> you are the I, wettest you- seal <laughs> you are dripping you are the dripping seal okay we need to play imdb the game now i'm thrilled and i'm ready to win yes but first we will be back with bethany cosentino okay Keep It is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Well, check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just weekend lounging. Doing nothing, you look great in Viore. The woman's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of the new colors before they sell out, and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high-waist, drawstring tie, and upgraded no-slip fit. For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy-lined athletic short out there. Am I wearing one right now? Who's to say? And the men's Sunday performance jogger. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. I wear this stuff all the time. I love to work out, and I need to be comfortable while I do it. There's something about the cling of the short on the thigh that is essential for me, and Viore provides it. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash keep it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash keep it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash keep it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Black Stories, Black Truths. It's a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shimerda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories and Black truths. Black stories haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Sorry should never be about us without us. And by us, I mean me and Lewis. <laughs> I'm black, you're tan. (laughs) Oh, that's extremely generous of you. (laughs) I look like I belong in Portrait of a Lady, honey. It's like deep white. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, 
It was also pretty boring, by the way. To the Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and made to compete in a beauty pageant. Amazing to watch, by the way. On each episode of Wondry's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition for women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then they were ranked by a panel of judges. And that's just after Truman Capote was done with them. Unsurprisingly, it led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Our guest today belongs on the Mount Rushmore of Queens of Summer. You know her from her iconic work with the rock duo Best Coast, making emotional Golden State anthems for over a decade. But now that I've moved to New York, I need a little something different. And she has delivered that with something completely new and different, her debut solo record, Natural Disaster. Welcome to Keep It, the stunning and talented Bethany Cosentino. Hi, what an intro. Thank you so much. Thank you um, for this album, really. Lewis and I were talking this morning. Um, he was about how much he was enjoying it. And um, I'm really loving this like new vibe from you. It feels, it feels like Best Coast inspired. It feels like in that same realm, but it's completely like something 90s, something like Liz Fair. Like it's, 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 you know, it's a bit more, you know, like loose and like, I don't know. <laughs> Lewis will have more uh, I love, descriptions. I love to be loose. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say this morning, um, I have a friend staying with me uh, and I was listening to the album again um, before we record it. And he, he was like, um, what is this song? Like, Natural Disaster. And he was like, because it's the hottest summer. Uh, that line, he was like, I'm feeling that. It truly <laughs> is. If you, the, world, the, the summer is burning, <laughs> especially here in the city. Uh, yeah. And that song has been really speaking yeah, fits. to me. It's somebody <laughs> on Twitter said it was like a dystopian soak up the sun. And I was like, <laughs> that's truly what I love to hear. And thank you so much. Yeah, I didn't realize that the summer that it came out would literally be the actual hottest summer on record. <laughs> kind of <laughs> jarring. <laughs> um, but thank you. That's awesome. Thanks. I love hearing that. Well, also, speaking of Soak Up the Sun, you're apparently a gig gigantic Sheryl Crow fan. And I am. And you can hear a little bit of that in the, uh, this record. I can't even pick a favorite Sheryl Crow song. She's somebody who I've, I've always loved, um, like that era of music. I'm obsessed with like Liz Fair and Alanis Morissette. But Sheryl Crow is somebody I learned a little bit later. I love her self-titled album the most. But I was yeah. wondering, like, what's your favorite Sheryl Crow uh, uh, era or album or song? 
My favorite, I think, also it's so funny because I literally have this Tuesday Night Music Club poster behind me. Holy and shit, you like, do. It's oh, right there. Wow. <laughs> it's like, she just like looms over my shoulder. But I feel like every time I like do an interview, she comes up obviously because I'm such a massive fan and she was a huge influence. But I feel like people probably are like, oh, this girl's trying to wear like Sheryl Crow's skin. Like she wants a skin suit of Sheryl Crow. Because it's just like, I move a little bit and it's like, there she is. Um, a globe, I think globe sessions is my favorite album. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why is because she obviously is like her writing is very personal and like relatable, but I think that album is when she finally started to just sort of be like, those songs were almost like diary entry. Like, and I'm the kind of writer that like, I write about my feelings and emotions. I love all, you know, like I, I love when people use metaphor and shit, but I'm just more of a person that's like this is the way that the world makes me feel. And I'm going to talk about that in song. And I think that album for her is like her version of like opening Sheryl Crow's diary set to like, yes, it's the very straightforward melodies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am not surprised to hear that. I feel like the com comparison is evident. <laughs> I feel like I need to do a Sheryl Crow dive. And I feel like I would, I feel like maybe that's the album to start with. Cause like, obviously I feel like, yeah, I'm very like, soak up the sun you know i'm very like all i want to do you know like i'm very yeah. like um upbeat shopping one of the top girls Cheryl Crow yes. Is what I <laughs> yeah. yes you know i feel like from what i know about you ira from the internet i think you'd be a Cheryl crow stan okay she's also just okay. Like, we, when matt rogers on the show a couple weeks ago we we're talking about how i guess Cheryl crow has perfect pitch and uh which makes <laughs> sense because she was just recruited out of nowhere to be on the michael jackson bad yeah. tour to say yeah. like, I, I just can't stop loving you so it would make sense that she's that talented but she's uh, a yeah crazy incredible singer yeah for sure i also read that while making this album you know your first uh solo one it was both the easiest and hardest thing you had ever done i was wondering if you could elaborate on that because to me, this feels so effortlessly you in a way that I would it just it just sounds like exactly the format you would want to deliver this music in the sound, like the the, the guitars, the the breeziness of it all feels very signature you. So I was wondering Thanks. what was both easy and hard about it. I think that the I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Like, I think for me, the ease came with just knowing exactly what it was that I wanted to do. Like. Best Coast's last album came out at the top of the pandemic, like before before COVID came, you know, it was like two weeks into tour mm -hmm. and the world shut down and it was just like, oh, okay, nobody can do anything. And I was just sitting around at home trying to figure out like, okay, am I going to be able to ever tour this record? Should I, you know, like doing the dumb live, like acoustic guitar live streams in my living room, just being like, this is literally hell on earth. I don't want to play into an iPhone. And I started to really think about like, what have I always wanted to do? And what I've always wanted to do is make a really different style of music, a different style of record. Like I'm a singer. That's what I, that's like my main instrument. And like, I always wanted to make something that felt like I could tap into a lot of my influences. Like Linda Ronstadt's my favorite singer of all time. And I was like, mm. I want to make something mm. that feels kind of more like that. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but the process of like stripping myself away from the identity of like Bethany from Best Coast, I think was really hard for me. And also it was just like, it was very uncomfortable for me too, to have to like 
acknowledge within myself that I felt that I had outgrown a part of myself and that I needed to kind of evolve and move on and try something a little bit different and more grown up. So it was like the growing pains were really hard, but the actual like idea of what I wanted to do came to me very quickly. And that I just sort of like followed. Mm. It's interesting that you say, you know, like you, you wanted to, you know, tap into some different influences and maybe even this sort of like growing pains element of moving on from best coast, because I feel like what always sort of, you know, appealed to me when I first heard the group was obviously, you know, I was, I was living in California at the time, but I feel like I discovered Best Coast around when I discovered like um, tennis as well, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I feel like it was the sort of like, I don't know, just moving to California, this sort of like modern dream pop era um, vibe that was going on that feels very like prescient there. And like music you just want to like listen to when you're driving in the car in California. Um, what I guess were your sort of like, influences that you feel like you were drawing on then mm-hmm. um if you feel like because you know i feel like you know you say you know like you have your linda ronstadt like your show crow and like you're able to tap in that on your solo album but how were you drawing inspiration in the band i guess uh and how is that different now that you're just working solo well i think with the first best coast album it was so inspired by like Cause I moved to New York to go to college and like, I was Mm -hmm. over California. Like I was like, I hate it here. I've been here my whole life. I'm tired of it. I was like in my fucking Carrie Bradshaw. I'm going to be a journalist, you know, imaginary mindset of like, Oh, moving to New York and being a writer and going to college. It's so easy. And then I got there and was like, JK, LOL. This is not what I thought it was going to be at all. (laughs) And I am like such a California girl that the weather for me, like the winter was just so extreme. I was like, I was not built for this. And so around that time, I really started dipping into like all of music that like really reminded me of California, like the mamas and the papas, the beach Mm. boys, like a lot of Mm -hmm. sixties sort of like Phil Spector, that kind of like sound is what I sort of gravitated to. And I just sort of like decided, like literally woke up one day and was like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go back to California. I'm going to drop out of college, literally packed up all my shit and moved home over one weekend, came home and just started like writing music that felt like it was very evocative of that sort of energy. And my collaborator and bandmate with Best Coast, Bob Bruno, and I have known each other since I was like 17. And we always had that like kind of pop, specifically like Beach Boys kind of love of pop. We had that in common. And so I didn't know really know anybody else that I could like reach out to to be like, can you help me? with because like I can write songs but I need someone to help me like record them and I don't know how to play bass and drums and all of these things and I reached out to him and was just like I'm gonna move home and start a band do you want to do this with me and he was like sure just start sending me music so I just started sending music and I think that the combination of his love of more kind of like surf rock and the tones of the guitar and shit like that mixed with my love of like melodic straightforward pop melody mm-hmm. the blend just sort of very organically worked. And I think that as time went on with Best Coast, I was always trying to tap into other things. Like I think the second record was very influenced by a lot of stuff that I would say this, my solo record is inspired by, 
But I just mm-hmm. felt like the formula always went back to the like easy breezy, this California sunny thing. And I think that like, it just, I think intrinsically it was just, that's what, that's in the DNA of Best Coast. I don't think it will ever be mm-hmm. something that like doesn't exist within the music that that we make, you know, under the name of Best Coast. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned how during the pandemic, it was annoying to have to perform into an iPhone. But my question is, <laughs> what would you consider the ideal performance space for you? Like when you're thinking about performing live, oh. what's the venue where you just picture yourself and prefer to be? Oh, I, well, I'm actually playing my first like full band, like solo show in LA in September at the Troubadour. And like, I grew Mm. up going to the, I saw like every show when I was in high school, like the Troubadour was like the place I wanted to be. And like, when they asked me, where would you want to play this record in LA? Like what, you know, what venue within this capacity would you be interested in? That was like my immediate first response was the Troubadour. And I don't know if it's just because it's obviously such a legendary place, but it's also so tethered to like my own memories as like a high school student going to see like every fucking band on Saddle Creek. Like I was at every Rilo Kiley show in LA. Like, you know, that was like my favorite shit in the world. So I think that like that is my, I'm really excited to play this album there, but I love like, don't get me wrong. It's fun to do like a massive theater or like if you open for a band and you get to play in an arena, like that shit's cool. But I love like an intimate space. I just think it's fun. You can connect with your audience easier. They're literally right there. And I just like feeling like we're all kind of like packed in, enjoying the experience of the songs. Uh, the Troubadour is one of the few places on earth I can think of that actually might be too legendary. Like if I if I were a musician performing <laughs> in that space, like just thinking of like, you know, Linda Ronstadt, for example, that's where like yeah, the, the exactly. Eagles, whatever. In addition to like, um, jo- like a drunk John Lennon getting thrown out of a Smothers Brothers show. Um, it's it, it also ad- additionally Elton John, about, yeah, Elton John performing Elton John, there. Yeah. Yes, the uh, the weirdest thing about that space though is it's right down the street from Gay West Hollywood, like feet from it, and those two worlds just do not go together at all. That has always blown my mind. I actually uh, like last year. I can't remember. Maybe it was earlier this year. I did like a. I was invited to come do a um a tribute like a pre-Grammy salute to Lucinda Williams, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters. And I, it was at the Troubadour and I went and sang and then my manager and I like right after like left and we went to, well, actually we had dinner at Pump. Pump. Then we went to the Troubadour. I knew you were going to say Pump. Then we went to the Abbey and I was like, this is the funniest night of like Pump, then Lucinda Williams at the Troubadour, (laughs) then the Abbey. So it was kind of like all of my interests. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and those things are right next to each other. It's very crazy that the Abbey, which is, you know, like like the world's headquarters for vodka cranberry, is right by where Lucinda Williams would naturally play. I yes. was yeah. literally in like a boho, like, dress with cowboy boots at the Abbey. And I was like, this makes no sense, but I'm obsessed with my vibe here. <laughs> uh so you went to pop. I knew you were going to say pop because you, I feel <laughs> like rest. you. I feel yes. like you and I first bonded <laughs> online talking about yeah. Vanderpump Rules and Bravo. Yeah, yeah, and, Bravo um, head for life over here. I mean, truly. I mean, I feel like there's so much I could ask you about Bravo, um, <laughs> but one, um, Real Housewives of New York. Are you loving it? Have you watched it? 
I've watched the first two episodes and I don't know if it's just that I'm so pre-programmed with the old bitches that like these new women, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm trying, so, like, I, I don't want to give up on it. I love Jenna, mm-hmm. first of all. Jenna's a queen. I'm obsessed. Jenna Lyons is just an, an icon. Incredible. But I'm just a little bit like, I, I think I need to really like work on detaching from the relationship of the old and sort of allow the new, I think I'm having growing pains similar to my record. I'm like, I'm like, I really feel like I'm ready for this change. But at the same time, I'm like, wait, but this is hard. I miss like, Fucking Sonia Morgan falling down. Although I am watching the crappy Lake show, which is kind of hitting that spot for me too. Yeah. I feel like what's really interesting to me about rebooting a show is obviously, you know, we're getting like, there was a lovely episode this week where um, one of the new housewives, Bryn Whitfield is discussing growing up biracial. uh, And I feel like we're, you're still in that first season of like things that you don't really get in later seasons of housewives where they're explaining who they are to the audience. You're still getting yeah. to know them. I feel like it'll be a full, like, maybe there'll be something great in the finale, but I feel like yeah. it's a full, like, season two before, like, you know all the characters, and now you can just get straight to exactly. we're being ridiculous. They have to, I think they have to, like, introduce, especially because, again, this reboot, you know, is, like, younger women and people talking about things that actually matter and standing for something. And, like, I think that it is a little bit, like, okay, now I want to see you be messy as fuck. Like, that's what I watch <laughs> these shows for. <laughs> Let's strip this dignity away like- from this place, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's sort of like that your um, regular sort of, like, media diet, like, Bravo and everything. Like, is that fun to, like, tap into after you've been, like, making music all day like to or it's just like what else do you what else do you consume besides music and you know these bitches on bravo (laughs) (laughs) that's my like i call it my smooth brain my smooth brain tv time it's just like i don't have to think i can just like sit and watch women be wasted and screaming at each other and sometimes have really beautiful emotional moments and like i just think that for me I don't like I'm the kind of person that when I'm stressed out, I go to the mall like that's where I go. Like I'm Mm -hmm. literally like I need Mm -hmm. to go for a walk. I need to clear my head and I go to the mall and people are like the mall is not like a relaxing place. I'm like for you, it's not. But for me, it is. And I feel the same way Mm. about Bravo shows where they're all like screaming and there's chaos. It's like something about that just makes it so that my brain just shuts down. And it's like all of a sudden it's like there's silence and it's just me and like these crazy wasted people talking about how rich they are. And I'm like, this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what I needed. I was going to say, I've never related to anything more than someone saying, I love going to the mall because when you're like, (laughs) when you're constantly perusing, when you're constantly perusing, you're not thinking about whatever's going on in your life. Exactly. It's just like such a, it's like people watching. You'll all of a sudden be like, Oh, there's a sale. I'm going to go check that out. And then you're like, "Never mind. Everything in here is heinous. I'm going to get a Wetzel's pretzel. (laughs) Like it's just, and I, I grew up like going, that was like what I did for fun was like, I went to the mall. Mm. Cause I, I mean like I'm from LA, but I grew up in Glendale, like up at the very top of like the two. So in the suburbs and we would take the bus like down to the Glendale Galleria pre-Americana, like pre wow. that, like any of that. 
And I would just go, like when the Hot Topic opened, my friends and I got like $20 from our mom and like took the bus and like went and like stood in line to go to the Hot Topic. So for me, it's just like, that's what I still do. I'm like, oh, I have a day off, especially on tour. If I have a day off on tour and there's a mall or like a fucking Olive Garden, Cheesecake Factory, that kind of vibe, I'm like, that's where I'm going. Mm. Like, I just like things that make me feel comforted and I know that it's all like they're all going to be the same every cheesecake factory is going to be equally mediocre it's always going to have the same hideous interior and I can always count on that (laughs) with a like Roger's thesaurus size menu yes (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Lewis and I are having a demol culture we've talked about this before too just because I feel like First of all, I mean, like, we're of the age where, like, you know, like, what else would you do during that time and on the weekend, too? And I feel like specifically in the 90s, early 2000s, where there was, like, a movie theater in a mall, too, or Barnes & Noble, you know, you'd go there and you'd be like, I'm reading a book, and then I'm going to go see this movie at 1.30. And it also does not need to be, like, Tomb Raider, right? You know, it can be, like, it's literally, like, whatever movie is out this weekend that is new that I have not seen, I'm going to see it. I guess it's Rat Race or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's something that's just fun about it. I mean, whenever I visit home, you know, it's like I take my niece to the mall or walk around with my grandmother at the mall, which is, which is a new development. I feel like, because I feel like I used to loathe being anywhere in the mall with my parents. You know, and oh, right. but then when you go back, but I feel like when you go back home for the first time after college or something, like the first time, like you're really in the mall with your parents and you feel like fine with it. You don't yeah. feel like, you know, they're like taking away from like your private space. It's like, oh, we're just <laughs> a couple of adults at the mall now. <laughs> yeah, that's when you like really know that you've like grown up and evolved is when you could go to the mall with a member of your family and not be like, leave me alone. Give me $10 to go get Wetzel's pretzels, Panda Express, leave me alone. It's like, no, I'm the same. It's like, I feel like sometimes I don't know what to do with like my parents. My mom doesn't live here. So when she comes and visits, sometimes I'm like, we could go to the Americana and then we just like get lunch and walk around and go to Barnes and Noble. And she goes to her section and I go to mine and I'm like, oh, this is nice. Uh, truly, I, I can't think of a better experience to have with your family because you can hang out or not hang out. Also, if you're at the Glendale exactly. Americana, I absolutely know you're going to Porto's for lunch, So, which is among my favorite places in L.A., period. Good, good place to eat anyway, but when I had no money, you could get an $11 like ham and cheese over there. Very ideal. The line, though. I, I'm not a line yeah, it's person. It's tough. It is tough. Mm. It is tough. Yeah, yeah. Also, all those people Just, are in line for desserts. Girl, it's like 1 mm-hmm. p.m. You do not need a fucking tart right now. What is happening? But I see people <laughs> walk out of there with like du- like like the biggest boxes. And I'm like, where are you going? Like, where are you yeah. taking all of these pastries? Is this just yeah. for you? I mean, no shame. But genuinely, sometimes I'm like. Is, are all these people going to like a brunch or like a, you know, like after church potluck? I don't understand the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. Where could they all be going? Yeah. I, but Portos <laughs> provides for it. And I can't think of another place like that. Anyway, that's my shout out to Portos. And I know there's a lot of authentic food I can get here, like in New York City. But I really do need to find a way to replicate the Din Tai Fung experience. Mm. Oh, yes it, is, yes. it is really just... It's magical. 
is what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's so I love good. It. Once, your, once your entire party has arrived, Yeah, exactly. Yes. You don't even think about. <laughs> don't okay. you even What dare. I always do, um, my best friend Drew and I, we always go to Din Tai Fung when we are seeing like a movie at, um, well, the two places is that. It's at, you know, there. And then it's also at um, Westfield. Central right, City. In Central City. Um, yes, that one. Um, we always do the thing where you walk up and like you get the bar seating because there's like tables yeah. by the bar and then there's a bar seating. It's just like the two of us, like we go there and we sit there like whenever I – and then you always walk past the people who are just like waiting there for like a table. And sometimes you see people, it's like there's only like three or like four of them. I'm like – I don't think everybody knows about the bar scene yeah, because that, I have never, I've truly never had to wait longer than like two minutes to be seated at Ten Tai Fung. The cheese, sorry to bring it back to the Cheesecake Factory as I, I might be an <laughs> ambassador for them. It's hard to tell, <laughs> but the Cheesecake Factory has the same vibe. It's like they have tabletop, bar, like, like the high mm-hmm. tables, like in the bar section. And you know, like the Cheesecake Factory on a Friday night is like a two hour wait. And I'm like, what are these people oh. waiting this long for? And then you just see that there's a table and you're like, all right, sick. I'm going to go. I'm going to get my brown bread. I don't need to wait in this two ass hour line. <laughs> I was literally just going to use the words brown bread one. But that I bread is so good. Yeah. And the other addicting thing is to get getting the butter and that little tin, you know, which oh, is yeah. so cute. I like mm. to scrape the butter off, put it on the brown yeah. butter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Let me tell you something. The Cheesecake Factory at The Grove, mm. some of the best vodka martinis i've ever had in my life okay really? like that but that bartender knows what he is doing there <laughs> and i can't see waiting for like two hours for like a fucking cheesecake factory but let me tell you no. something in college in chicago um we would wait for grand lux cafe the uh <laughs> the upscale cheesecake factory which oh people, sure which some people have either never heard of before when i bring it up to them or don't know that it's like part of like the cheesecake factory family uh, but I, I never really called? know. I the don't Grand, know Grand, The Grand, Grand Lux, Lux ca- ca- yeah. Cafe. Oh, I know what that is. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, there was one when I first moved to LA. There was that one in the By Beverly, the Beverly Center. Center. Yeah, By yeah, the yeah. Beverly yeah. Center. Mm-hmm. And, but it closed very quickly and then was just like abandoned for, I feel like, five years. Yeah, I, I remember that. I feel like they were that. just like ghosts and rats running around in that old <laughs> Grand Lux Cafe. <laughs> and now they've replaced it with like, what is it like, Yardbird or whatever? It's, but, yeah, I think it, it's one of those kind of places. Yeah, I love the Beverly Center. I'm sorry. It is. Oh, me that too. Is my it's a big favorite. spaceship that and there's no windows. Mall. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. I'm not going to hate on the Beverly Center. I agree with you. I think it's a good mall. I think uh, yeah. Century City, that feels like Bowser's Castle to me. That's like most fun to walk around. And there's a lot of sun there. So we're, bring the SPF, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is there... You talk about when you're touring and you like to visit like a mall or something. Is there, you know, because keep it international, international. Uh, is there a mall that you remember or that you love visiting that is outside of like California? Like one where you're like, you've been on tour and you went here and you were like, you know what? The vibes are definitely immaculate at this mall in like, <laughs> I don't know, Akron or something. Oh my God. I, I'm sure there is. Like, I, I'm having a really hard time remembering, like, because I've literally been to probably, like, I'm 
Not joking. I've gone to a mall in probably like every place I've ever been before. Like even in Europe, I'm like, where's the mall? What, what kind of malls do we have here? But like, I would say that like the mall that's probably obviously left the most lasting impression on me is the mall of America because it's so fucking insane. Like the first time I went there, I was just like the theme park inside. Like it's nuts. I'm just like, if there is a, there's nothing. And that's, the most apt title for it. It's literally, I feel like America in a nutshell is that place. It's like, you got a SpongeBob SquarePants log ride and then you have like every fucking store that's ever existed. And you can like, it's just like, you can spend your whole day there. It's Disneyland. (laughs) Also, once upon a time, the amusement park in that, uh, in the Mall of America was Snoopy themed. And I remember I I went there as a kid and I was terrified of everything. I was terrified of rides. And I specifically was terrified of the, you know the thing where you sit in a swing and it swings around? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a giant kind of, I, I would call it a whirly gig. That was themed after the kite-eating tree in uh, Peanuts. And I just want to say that that was bone-chilling for a child. <laughs> just remembering that even now. The year was 1997 and I was scared. Yeah. But I love the Mall of America. trauma. Yes, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. Also, I going back to the Beverly Center conversation and really just to tie all of this in with my music career and my obsession with malls, one of the first Best Coast shows truly was at the Bloomingdale's at the Beverly Center. Like, just randomly, we got hired to come play some, like, I don't even know what it... I honestly want to say it was, like, Seven Jeans because it was, like, that era of, like, Seven Jeans is, (laughs) is doing a new, like, capsule collection and they'd love to have you come play. And they literally set up this, like, budget ass stage in the center of Bloomingdale's. And it was just like midday. It wasn't even a weekend. weekend. It was like a Wednesday at like 2 p.m. So it was just like mom shopping and just like stopping and watching for like two seconds and then leaving. It was like truly, when I think back to it, I'm like, what was that? Like the era of the early 2010s where they were just giving money left and right to be like, come play a show at Taco Bell Cantina. Like, it was like, okay, sure. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I, mean, I would have glanced up from my theory polos to watch you. Sure. <laughs> I miss the era of the mall concert. I miss the era of, honestly, like, Fashion's Night Out. Yeah. If you remember mm. that, that was the, like, I think they had it in L.A. too, but, like, in, in New York too, like, it was just, like, fashion's not out they're like we're having like these parties in malls and i just i remember like hearing like kim kardashian's jam debuting like at outside (laughs) of like a mall somewhere uh and that is really what we need to get america back to more concerts i agree mall concerts okay i'm gonna do a tour of the mall with this album that's what i'm working on like old clips of like Britney Spears or something, you know, like performing at the mall. And it's really just like, you're just walking around with your mom, like buying pants. You're going, you're going to Hot Topic (laughs) or something. And then like, you hear like baby one more time blaring in the middle of a mall. You go there. I'm just like, here's a show. Well, it could be that. No, the era of Tiffany. Yes. Throw in a Tiffany cover and you'll be sad. I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I was pretty, I I don't remember how old I was, but I'm pretty sure I saw Tiffany play at the mall, like when I was a kid. Oh, no, no. I'm sure she's at one right now. I think we've sentenced her to a life at a mall. Yeah. She's still there. Yeah. She's in line at Din Tai Fung is what she's Her last name is Galleria. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tiffany Galleria, uh, that's yeah. a gorgeous name. Yeah, yeah. 
Bethany, uh, thank you Bethany. so much for fucking being here. Jesus Christ, oh my were you God. a blast. Thank you for having me. I was so excited when I heard that I was asked to be on the Fame to Keep It. So thank you. And the album is a blast, by the way. I recommend everybody yeah. pick it up. Thanks. Natural Disaster. It is out. It is amazing. I'm like, I'm just really excited um, to see you do. I'm excited to see you play it live. Catch me touring it at malls around America. See you guys <laughs> in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. With my busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna. To keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. If there's one thing I know about Lewis, it's that according to IMDb, he wrote for the Oscars, 2023, the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards, 2020, and Match Game, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All technically true. Match Game was something I did, like, on the side while I worked at Billy on the Street. I had, like, they would want, like, 20 questions a day. By the way, it is hard to write for the Match Game. You think it seems like easy, like, knock-knock jokes? Absolutely not. You have to come up with, like, a beginning, middle, and ending, and then have to be able to write things that, like, other people can solve or insert a joke into. It was hard. Don't, 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 you can't just do it in 20 minutes like I thought you could. <laughs> and we all know that I've played such iconic roles as L.A. Hipster in You and Self on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So I want to find out what IMDb has to say about other actors in this game that I've been playing lately. It's called Known For. So the concept is you basically just go to IMDb. And you look up a celebrity and the known for um, on their page usually has it has four projects there. And what's interesting about this is it's not always the four most recent. It's not like their four most major. It's based on metrics like popularity It's based on metrics of like people searching for it. It's also based on their credits in it. Like if they were like a co-producer or something, like it's going to be ranked higher. Like there's a bunch of different things that go into it, but it is fun trying to figure out what someone is known for. So I'm going to go first with your fave, 
Jane Fonda. Who a crazy question. She's had so many different versions of popularity, but they're all largely bygone. I'm going to say, so uh, there's multiple answers to this? There's four. Okay. Grace and Frankie. No. Get the fuck out. Okay, I'm going to try again. Monster-in-law. No, they are all films. Jesus Christ. Just so you know, so no Grace and Frankie. All films. Okay, okay, okay. Nine to five? No. On Golden Pond? No. There's only one from the 2010s. And the rest are prior to 1990. Wow. One from the 2010s. Our Souls at Night? Oh, no, no, no. It's got to be uh, Book Club. No. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not Our Souls at Night. Uh, what else is she even in? 80 for Brady? Well, that's too recent. Oh, right. You no, mentioned the one of them already in this episode. How am I? Right. Because, of course, I would. Uh, what else is Jane Fonda in from? earlier from the 20 okay i'm gonna go before 1990 because i'm losing my mind uh barbarella that is one of them thank god i thought i was losing my mind uh, <laughs> clute yes okay well that means clute has had a bit of a renaissance i'm excited to hear that um the china syndrome no oh god what are the other two one, another one is from the 70s and the other one is from 2015 2015 uh, youth? Yes. Wow, what a crazy choice. She's in that movie for two minutes. Lots of good performances in it. It's uh, Paolo Sorrentino, who uh, did The Great Beauty. Uh, it's uh, like Michael Caine. And, uh, weirdly, Paloma Faith is in that movie, but Rachel Weisz gives a great short performance in it. Um, and then there's one more. And from the 70s, can I get a year on that? 78. Coming Home. Yeah. Wow. So people are watching Coming Home again. That kind of blows my mind. I guess she did win an Oscar for yeah. it, but... Yeah, it's also like ratings. That is the uh -huh. that is like rated like seven point three out of ten on IMDb. So I am picking Ben Affleck. Okay, I'm gonna start with Gone Girl. You are correct. Gone Girl is one of the four. Okay, um, Argo. You are correct again. Uh, which of course uh, he was not nominated for best director for, but it did win best picture. Yes. Yes. I feel like one of those fucking Batman movies he was in. I will actually there. spare you. Mysteriously, it is not. And I am I'm wow. surprised that nothing. Not even Justice League? No, nothing. Nothing. This okay. is actually a, a pretty uh, clean slate for, for Ben Affleck, I have to say. Okay. Good Will Hunting? It is correct. Yes, that's the third one. And you have one more. Okay. And it's a clean slate for Ben Affleck. So yeah. what decade? It is the 2010s. Okay. Is it... Dogma? Nope. Okay. I'll throw, I'll throw this one okay. to you. The Town is his other known for. Doesn't that feel oh. like pretty like legitimate, like those four movies? Because he directed that, right? He, correct. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Blake Lively. I remember her writhing about. Yes. And also, one of Casey, those like... <laughs> Casey Affleck. <laughs> right. Do you know what I just watched the other day? Um, To Die For. Uh, and mm. Which, of course, I've seen before. But Joaquin Phoenix and... Casey Affleck in that movie. Weird to have two best actor winners being so young in a movie together. I mean, I feel like everyone in that movie, I mean, all three of them, like um, Nicole too, like they all went on to just be like. Right. Icons. And you know who kind of didn't? Ileana Douglas. And she is amazing in that movie. She gives the performance of Lizzie Kaplan's dreams in that movie. <laughs> well, given Lizzie Kaplan's career, 
She'll be starring in To Die For, the TV series. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which honestly would work as a television series. Oh, it, it, totally. It has a, I mean, honestly, the whole thing has a Ryan Murphy vibe. I, I'm surprised we don't have that show, actually. The, the movie Network could also be a, a limited series. I'm surprised we don't have that either. I'm going to give you the Mafia Mama herself. Oh, Miss Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Now, this is a good yes. one because Tony Collette is not in many like franchisey things or something. So it's like what kinds of prestige are bubbling to the top? It absolutely has to be the sixth sense. Yes. Okay. Thank God. So I'm on the board. Tony Collette. I think the A24 okay. vibes are hitting and Hereditary is one of the four. Yes. Thank God. Okay. I'm doing really well. I'm feeling hyped. Tony Collette, uh, how about about a boy? Yeah. Oh, and one more. All right. This is going deep, but I feel like it has stood the test of time. Muriel's wedding. No. Oh, almost a clean sweep. She is not, she's not top build in this film. Ooh, she's not top build. Okay. What is she? Um, oh, mm, this is definitely not it. The hours? Yeah. Oh, oh. Never mind. I was born for this game. I thought I was going to crash and burn. <laughs> All right. I'll give you one more, Ira. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, I have to click on this one. I'm sorry. Oh, this is fucking amazing. Okay. Ira, your movie star is Madonna. Oh, God. And these, and these are indeed <laughs> movies. Okay. <laughs> um, W.E.? Can I tell you something? It is not up here, but I recently learned that uh, WE has a 6.2 rating on IMDb. Who the fuck gave that a, a bubble five? <laughs> Were the Oscar Isaac stands up and about? Yeah, right. <laughs> a stare was like, we've got to do something. Yeah. I forgot how many black kids she has until they went to see Beyonce together and took a photo. I was like, oh. And then I forgot that two of them are twins. Right, 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 right. That's such a cute yeah. picture. I was I was psyched to see Madonna and Beyonce hanging out. Yeah. Um Okay. Um Desperately Seeking Susan? Absolutely not. Uh and much as we love Miss Susan Seidelman, I was just talking about this movie with my friend Devin over the weekend who watched it. The craziest thing about Desperately Seeking Susan is that it was not written for Madonna. People that were up for that role mm. were like Ellen Barkin and Melanie Griffith and Jennifer Jason Lee. It's like, wow, once upon a time, Madonna had to contend with Jennifer Jason Lee. That's how the 80s worked. Okay. You know what's funny about that? It's sort of same genre, you know, lesbian y. Um, I watched Kissing Jessica Stein for the first time. Written by uh, Je Jennifer Westfeld, the ex of uh, yes. John Hamm. John Hamm. Uh, and he's so good in that movie. Right. Mm -hmm. In like a different role than he normally plays. Um, I thought it was lovely. I thought I it made me feel like hungry for like a new um New York indie era. Ugh, yes, because it feels very ears. New York. Feels very nineties. Feels very like oh, these like just people on the street having it's, the movies. Just like people on the street having conversations. You're having conversations at work. You know, it's just like that. Like Jackie Hoffman's in it. Yeah, that right, kind uh, of fucking movie. Right. You know, right, right. like. That is what I'm, and it's just like, I feel like New York indie movies of that era was just like power lesbians and people working at art galleries and going to coffee shops and drinking wine. 
Oh, please. No, I love that like era of like 90s movie where like the Broadway community is all making cameos. Like, please let me see Deborah Monk with three lines. Please. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you these um, answers, but they, like, I oh, think wait, you won't Avita? be smart. Avita is correct. Yes. You have, if, if, let's see if you can get the next three without missing. Okay, wait. I got, I only got one of them, right? Yes, I got Avita. Avita. I got, um, uh, a league of their own. You are correct. Yes, that's the highest rated one okay. here. There are two left, and they okay. have a four point seven and a six point one. I'm going to tell you that I believe both are uh, a little overrated here. <laughs> okay. Um. Oh wait. The biggest movie that she's ever been in is um. Not Dick Tracy. She did. She did a Bond movie. She's in it. She's in it too. Um, Die Another Day. Die Another Day is correct. Okay. Yes, that has the six point one. I always here. forget that she's in that movie. Yeah, like, she plays the fencing like, instructor. Uh, Verity. Fencing. fencing. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's the opening of the movie too. Because right. like they're fencing, and then it goes right into her song. What a zany fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Barely a song. Also, uh, at the time, it was still one of the most expensive music videos ever made. It's like a pretty cool video. Can I get a co-star for the last one? Okay, I am going to give you a co-star, but it's not the main one. Okay. And since she came up already, Ileana Douglas. Year? 2000. Oh, the next best thing? <laughs> I can't believe that knocked into place for you. <laughs> Also, speaking of movies around that time, it's one of those movies where she's a yoga instructor and lives in the hugest house you've ever seen. <laughs> Not how life works. I feel like Not how life works. I got, I've been like, my writing has been like firmly entrenched in like late 90s, early 2000s. So I've also just been like, literally like pouring over like movies released in 2000, 2001 to see if it's something I want to write about. And I'm like, I saw this and I'm like, I saw this once. In theaters, and I cannot believe I've I've never thought about it since. Honestly, honestly, if you want to watch Rupert Everett, though, yeah, we we were just talking about him last week. Yes, Um, if you want to watch something cool with Madonna and Rupert Everett on VH1 in the late '90s, they did a thing where they revisited all of the places Madonna used to hang out before she was famous and the apartments she lived in, and he does it with her, and they are so fun together. You forget that they were like a cool friendship for a while. She, he was her Debbie Mazar for a moment. But anyway, okay, this game is fun. And unfortunately, we're going to play it 15 more episodes because I love these games. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give this one more because I know you're going to get it so quickly. Nicole okay. Kidman. Okay, Nicole Kidman. Uh, it has to be Moulin Rouge. Yes. Okay. It has to be <laughs> Aquaman? No. No franchise wow. movies. Oh, great, great, great. Nicole Kidman. She's also, of course, all prestige. In, oh, love it! She's got. It's got to be the others. No, damn it! No horror. Nicole Kidman in Rabbit Hole. Yes. All right, that's really shocking. Uh, a movie I love. Maybe my, that's my favorite Nicole Kidman performance. I'm also going to add ugh, Lion. No, they're both early two thousands. Oh, and the hours. Yes, and. One more. Well, what am I forgetting from the early 2000s? No one thinks about this damn movie. But the, the, the interpreter? But 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 someone won an Oscar from it. No one thinks about this movie. It's, oh, Cold Mountain. Yes. 
Oh, good. Okay. Clownery. Clown- that movie. But- <laughs> that movie is uh, longish. That's a movie that has good parts in it, but like feels like less than the sum of its parts because too much of it is not interesting. Yeah. And then Renee Zellweger, of course, squawks. Yeah. Yes. That was fun. I love this game. It's, it's right. truly one of the... E- it's like... I feel like so- sometimes celebrity is hard to play when you're with a group of like other people just because the way our brains work about like thinking about like and remembering pop culture it's just like it's hard to play with with some people who feel like 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 they don't think about like totally like can't recall like a celebrity's name or something but they know like the moves and stuff i feel like this one is more fun and easier to play with people and if you're giving people hints like it gets people more involved in the game too you're sort of like well this person was in the movie and then they're trying to remember co-stars and yeah, it's a, fun it's a little bit more like Family Feud, like first thought yes. answers as opposed to like deep insight type stuff. Yeah, okay, we'll play this more in the future. Yeah. All right, when we're back, keep it. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, what's yours? First of all, keep it to me for not having a Benadryl nearby. I'm like sniffling like I'm lost in the <laughs> goddamn meadow today. Second of all, well, I mean, you're it- in a basement at home. True. Like, right. like how how long how long has your family had that house? Twenty five years. So twenty five yeah. years okay. of I've- largely heterosexuality building up in here. So I can only Midwestern I- basements. There's so much going on down there. Dubious. No, the 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 amount of cartons of goldfish crackers that have been down here alone moving on um (laughs) my keep it unfortunately is to a show we talk about all the time on keep it that's now back thrilling to watch i I am generally speaking enjoying the new season but big brother uh siri fields from survivor is now uh, a contestant along with her son and the most Mm -hmm. of the cast save one cast member don't know that it's her son Keep it to the twist. Is he? Who is, is demented? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is stalking Sari on the live feeds. <laughs> um, I think keep it to this because it's just not going to pan out for Sari. Everybody in the house is going to figure out that fucking this kid is her kid. I just don't think it's that interesting. Mm. And they're both going to get eliminated soon. I could be wrong. Look, Sari is a fierce player. And it's really somebody who is interesting to watch again and again, this is somebody who is famous for losing Survivor four times, but is basically considered the Mm -hmm. Glenn Close of Survivor. She Mm -hmm. uh, is an amazing, legendary player. It just hasn't worked out that she's won the big prize. She did win the show Traitors, which was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. to watch, even though the editing at the end of that season felt very weird to me, and I don't actually know who knew what at the end, but good for Suri winning that $250,000. So do you follow the feeds? Not yet. Okay, so the feeds have started this week, and I will say, not to ruin anything for you or anyone who doesn't follow the feeds, what is so interesting about this game with Sari in it right now is that, one, you know, as Big Brother fans, I feel like we've been forced to watch, like, season after season of, like, these big, like, 12-person alliances that just sort of, like, steamroll the house, and you basically just have, like, people sitting around doing nothing all summer, you know? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, this house is in chaos. <laughs> the, house is, the house is split along two alliances. Um, the alliances are constantly shifting. People, 
do not give these people liquor. Please give them liquor at some point <laughs> because they're all off their fucking rocker. I want to talk about Riley, who's the head of household. Jared, Sari's son, literally sitting with her being like, who are you aligned with? And her telling him names. <laughs> these, like, like everyone is everyone is so crazy right now. There was a moment uh, yesterday where Sari like, went to the diary room and she came out. She was like, don't let me go to the diary room. Y'all done lost your goddamn minds. Like, people are, <laughs> people are running around this house in such an insane way every day that, like, uh, I'm, I love following, um, watching the feed sometimes, but I really love watching um, the live updates on um, Rob has a podcast. Uh-huh. Um, Rob Sesternino. Uh, I love his um, coverage of, like, Big Brother and survivor and the daily updates from um taron armstrong are like fucking fantastic like he's just on youtube and he recaps uh everything that's been happening so if you don't want to like watch the feeds or like just search twitter for clips uh it's very fast three episodes a week is not enough for you which you should go to right. a hospital but it's yeah. not it's i'm like i was i was talking with a friend about like um this and like seeing andy heron tweet about it just like when big brother is on me being a feeds person I, it's useless for me to be out in public uh, because I am just scrolling the Big Brother hashtag, looking for updates constantly. And I what will say is fun about the Sari twist is Survivors edited, you know, and the Traders has edited, right? And what's really fun about this and the feeds is you're getting to see like people always talk about Sari's mist. She's very good at convincing other people to do things, right? It is so interesting watching it at work in ways that we never had access to see it on Survivor because Survivor is compact into like, you know, one hour each week. But when you're actually watching conversations that might not even make the air, it's so interesting. Like the first day to her son, um, she sat him down and she said, "Um, now I overheard you telling someone we'll talk later. When I came out of the room, clean that up. No one needs to know who you're talking to later. No, Sari being like, there's a way to play this game and you're not doing it right. And I fucking saw it like the sweetness sort of fading and the, uh, the gameplay vixen coming into play. I mean, that it's, it is cool to see. And people watching it being like, Oh, she's completely believing something. Someone is telling her like she's being snowed. She's not as smart as everyone thinks she is. Then that person leaves the room and she talks to her Alliance member. It's like, it's clear that she didn't fall for that at all, but she's so good at like not breaking character. That is just fascinating. And she just fascinates me as a person. Like, she's a fucking surgical nurse, and I'm just like, but when you see her coming to these games, it's just like, do you have CIA training? Right. No, it's very casual, here? the mastery. It's a very it's very strange. Yeah. It makes you realize that, like, people you socialize with, like, there's a lot going on in some people's heads that you're not uh, privy to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it is, like, instructive yeah. about being a person. I want to say about Big Brother, so if you don't watch the show... I guess be thankful because once you do, it really invades every part of your brain and you're thinking about it constantly as you have just witnessed with me and Ira. So anyway, yeah. we'll move on from this. But I have <laughs> to tell you, this this season may be fascinating, so we may be coming back to it. You may want to catch up. Yeah. And the benefit of Sari being on, I will say, is that like I have plenty of friends who watch Survivor who've never watched Big Brother and now they're watching and checking out the feed. So I feel like 
she's introducing gameplay into this that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, and I would love for CBS, I would actually love for them to start adding in other like survivor players to Big Brother. Like, because for so long, we I feel like we've had, they get like recruits on the show who like don't know what they're doing and they're just being pretty. Um, but they don't all need to be a Sari. Like you don't need to get Parvati or like yeah. Ozzy or like someone on the show. Like get someone on Survivor who like was good, but like maybe got taken out like halfway through their season or something. And then just like put them in the show. Right. I think that's smart. Hmm. I mean, like the people who are interesting with gay play gameplay or tricky, that's what you want to see on Big Brother. When you when there are people who don't do that, it's like, what am I even watching? Like, I'm not in in this for like the double dare like stunts they have to do, you know? Anyway. <laughs> it is so it is a very corny show. Yes. Right. You won't believe <laughs> it's a nutty the stunts, but also generally pretty amusing. Ira, what is your keep it? Yeah. Yes. Also, before my keep it, I just want to say thank you to casting for Hysom, maybe the hottest gay man we've had on this show in years. And he's like 11 foot four and utterly ripped and a burlesque dancer at night, which usually I would have contempt for, but <laughs> I want to see the burlesque. A doctor. Yeah. A doctor slash burlesque dancer at night. It is either a um, bad movie from the 80s or like a procedural waiting to happen. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> I want to see the pasties. Uh, Ira, mm. what's your keep it? My keep it this week goes to Miss Smartwater herself, Jennifer Aniston. What is she up to now? So this weekend, um, Jamie Foxx posted an Instagram um, that said, they killed this dude named Jesus. What do you think they'll do to you? Hashtag fake friends. Hashtag fake love. Clearly, he's talking about, you know, a a, a fake friend. It said hashtag fake friends. You know, he's talking about a Judas in your group, Mm -hmm. etc. Jennifer Aniston liked the post. The only reason we know about this is because it was reposted uh, by an Instagram account, which, by the way, has like 28,000 followers. Like no one, no one is following this this Instagram. Uh, sort of, sort of like a Zionist Instagram account. You know, it's it, it accused Jamie Foxx of being anti-Semitic. Oh, got it. Also, what went unseen too is in that same post, they also accused Cardi B of being anti-Semitic because, as you know, she beat those charges this week. Um, and after she beat the charges, she tweeted a photo of two Hasidic Jews. Um, referencing the line in her song, Bickin' Head, um, where she raps, lawyer is a Jew, he gonna chew up all the charges. Got it. I see. Yes. That went unnoticed, by the way, because no one follows <laughs> this fucking account. Right, you know? right, right. But because Jennifer Aniston's like was visible in it, someone must have sent it to her. And she immediately ran to Instagram and denounced Jamie's post on social media, saying that it was horrifically anti-Semitic. Uh, she would never support anti-Semitism, etc. Because obviously, if you do not know, um, there is the you know long-running you know um, thing from like Nazis, evangelicals, anti-Semitic people who use the phrase, you know, like saying they killed Jesus, referring to the Jews killed Jesus. Yes, right, yes. They, you know, the Jews are they. But 
this ignores the fact that in, you know, black colloquial speak, they usually refers to just like one, they can refer to one person, you know, uh-huh. when they're like the streets are talking. I could just mean Lewis is talking, you know, <laughs> it could just mean me are talking. And hashtag fake friend implies a Judas. And I don't know if like this is something that you've heard growing up. You know, but I just feel like, particularly for black people, like there's always like this term about like the Judases in your camp, mm. you know, or like, you know, like they kill Jesus, they'll kill you too. You know, it's not about an anti-Semitic thing. It is about the Judases in your camp. You got to watch out for the Judases, the ops, the whatever, you know, it really is a thing about a differences between two languages, right? Got it. Uh, and I feel that it was right of Jamie Foxx to apologize and just say that that is not what he intended. And I thought that that would have like dead at the conversation, but people are still going back and forth, debating this thing, talking about like, well, this is anti-Semitic or like, well, this is black, you know, like language. And I'm like, girl, this man just got out of a coma. And now he just had to (laughs) go through all this all weekend. Like, I feel like I feel so bad for him. And the fake friend must be Jennifer Aniston because you're friends with this man. You like the Instagram post. I just like DM him or something, you know, to immediately jump to that post was wild to me. And then to not also apologize publicly either for setting it off um, when he said that his intent was misconstrued is wild to me. She All she's done is turn off comments on Instagram. Mm. The thing is, He has beaten death, and he has beaten Shazam, and I need him to beat this rap. (laughs) (laughs) And I get some people saying, you know, like, we need to be vigilant in these times, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of anti-Semitism, like, going around in the U.S. um, that is being mainstreamed. But it is just wild to me that people's first instinct was to jump to the idea that all of a sudden, Jamie Foxx decided that he hated Jews on a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> right? With no inclination. And Jennifer Aniston was waiting like, for the moment to be like, here, here. <laughs> right. With no Finally. inclination of this before, immediately we jumped to the theory that, oh, Jamie Foxx is being anti-Semitic, which was wild to me, you know? Because Jay- one thing Jamie Foxx does is he minds his damn business. Yeah, right, right, right. Do you? Do, we didn't even know that his ass was dating Katie Holmes for years. I am still getting okay. over it. I can't like, believe that happened to us. <laughs> like, that's the definition of being a celebrity who minds your business, right? Because um, Katie Holmes is somebody who once upon a time had her own entrance into the um, Manhattan Whole Foods. She was so famous. So to get away with yes. dating her that long is very crazy. The bitch is still famous, okay? I tried to go to Balthazar a few weeks ago with... Um, Ty Sunderland, we tried to have dinner with us and we, we, it shut down for a private event. And I'm like, who's this private event? And then you see like, uh, Katie Holmes just being photographed on a red carpet. And I'm like, oh, okay. She shut and down you, Balthazar. <laughs> and you were left with just pieces of April, which sucks. <laughs> Crumbs of April. And you know what? To shut down Balthazar on a Monday night when I'm hungry, that was disturbing behavior. <laughs> I was trying to get to the reference. I was like, where's the going? I didn't, I didn't have it. I didn't have it. I should have been there. That was good. Just 
besides me being pissed off at Miss Avina Lotion over here, who still has not apologized, the one thing I want to go back to, as we were discussing last week, and we said on Keep It for six years running, celebrities, get off social media. We will like you more. It's just the truth. Because you know what? This was nonsense from Jennifer Aniston, and I'm not going to attack and my brother Jamie Foxx, because he did just, you know, pop up out of coma. Okay. Right. You know, he is he is giving <laughs> another world storylines from 1994. <laughs> um, you have too much money, brother, to be online talking about hashtag fake friends. No. Okay. Honestly, this is something to we you could all make too learn much from. money to subtweet. You make too much money to subtweet. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> We could all learn from this. In fact, right now, I believe you are teaching Mrs. Tingle. There, I did it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, we need to go away. (laughs) Katie Holmes, we we speak your name, Katie Holmes. Well, that's our show this week. Um, Thank you to Bethany Cosentino for being here. Uh, We'll see you next week. And Lewis and I are going to (laughs) go. Best one yet. Oh, so good. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. seen all the video call fails by now the mute button mishaps the cat cameos people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off but none of this makes fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy bitsy baby duck how do i turn that thing off it's too late fred it's too late when you realize it's better to do business in person it matters where you stay welcome to the hilton garden and fred the meeting room is right down the hall hilton for the stay Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high.